Hey you guys, this is our promo before our main show. I wanted to make you aware that we have an amazing YouTube channel uh, which features some of the great behind the scenes footage from our main podcast as well as some amazing other new content as well that we've got coming up as well with some of our speakers, some of our amazing, I suppose, influencers and, and also sports personalities and Olympic athletes from around the world. It's great because you can sit down with a pen and paper. If you're extremely busy, you can make some golden nuggets just from a video. And and you know what? It's great to connect with someone and see someone face-to-face by watching the YouTube channel. So listen, guys, go to youtube.com forward slash Adam Strong. Make sure you subscribe to that YouTube. In fact, do me a favor, pause this audio right now, go straight to the YouTube, make sure you subscribe to us, and we'll see you there. Take care, bye. This is the Game Changers Experience. Deep dive conversations with leading business disruptors, Olympic athletes, celebrities, entrepreneurs, and influencers from around the world. This show will teach you insights about the winning principles in mindset, productivity, marketing, branding, entrepreneurship, business strategy, and more. Hosted by Productivity Authority, business strategist, former elite athlete, author, and public speaker, Adam Strong. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Accelerate and Multiply live stream. Today, I have a fascinating guest with me here, a a former elite athlete. He has trained with Olympians. He has personally interviewed people like Jack Kenfield, Dr. John D. Martini, Mark Beaumont, Gary Ridge. But he was also not just voted the best looking man, <laughs> but he was also voted the best man of the year for supporting women in business in 2016. So, uh, Adam Strong, my friend, welcome to the live stream. Great to see you there. I'm excited to be here, Dan. You know me. I love it. I love conversations. I'm really excited to be here. Now you've um, you've been a former elite athlete yourself, and you're also training with Olympians in distance running. How did you get into this sport? <laughs> Interestingly enough, it was it was actually at the age of um, I got into it at a quite a young age. I was I suppose encouraged by my father uh, originally. Uh, I didn't particularly have a great childhood at the um, uh, to begin with, and. Uh, you know, and I was going through, you know, the motions as such as kind of, as you do when you're a kid, you know, you go through uh, ups and downs, especially when you go through uh, puberty and stuff like that, right? And uh, and because of the bad childhood, I suffered from alopecia and so forth. But I, I'd suffered from, I, I, I got bullied a lot and it really affected my self-confidence levels. And uh, and it really affected my mindset and, and I, I was really... As a kid, I was kind of very introverted and, um, you know, and I didn't really, I just didn't, I didn't like to interact with people and, you know, it was kind of awkward in a way, do you know what I mean? And, and so my father encouraged me to, he started up running about, I don't know, 18 months before and he was like, why don't you get into running? You know, it kind of does well for me, why don't you try it? And I'm like, okay, well, that's interesting. Well, I can get a shot, but, you know, at the time I was an asthma sufferer, you know, mm-hmm. so I was an asthma sufferer and all the asthma sufferers, which are probably listening in, they're like, what, you go into running? That's crazy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so I got into running, but I was an asthma sufferer. And um, uh, I remember turning up at the running track 
there was a lady sitting behind the reception actually and she was like hey so how can i help because i actually turned up on my own i didn't really get, i didn't really have a lot of support structure around when i was growing up I didn't really i had an absent father and my mother really didn't take much of an interest in 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 what i did and so i turned up on my own 11 years old saying hey so i'm interested in joining your athletics club and this you know sort of mid 40s lady said um okay what 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 discipline are you interested in and i was like i'm interested in long distance running she went okay um but then i told her i was asthma sufferer and she went oh okay that's interesting so then she introduced me to uh, to the coach at the time and uh and uh you know we talked about our uh, expectations i suppose more than anything else I, I remember the very first time i turned up i saw these fast sprinters back and field athletes and whatever it is and i i got really intimidated you know and you feel really uncomfortable in being in this place where you're like i'm way out of my comfort zone here i'm way out of my league do you know what i mean and you you start to get these negative thoughts that going through your head and you start to think to yourself this is a bit of i feel like this is a bit of a mistake and then when we started, doing, even doing the warm-up was a struggle for me. I could barely run 100 meters without having, I suppose, a chronic asthma attack, I suppose. So it was a real challenge. Um, but I guess after some perseverance, um, and, and I suppose through self-discipline more than anything else, I started getting better, right? It started getting better. My time started to make some improvements. And within nine months, my asthma disappeared altogether, actually which is kind of crazy. So, um, and then yeah, this is how I met my former training partner as well. Uh, and I really kind of met my first proper coach um, about sort of a year after that. And his name was Alex McGee, actually, a Scottish guy. And he, along with my former training partner, Samo Farah, we essentially, he came from Somalia originally. So he had like very little English. And similar kind of way to me, he was bullied a lot because of his lack of English. And, you know, um, he was black as well. And, and, you know, you kind of get, uh, you know, bullied and things like that. So he kind of, we kind of had similar, um, I suppose, situations and circumstances. Uh, but we used each other's um, competitive um, nature, I suppose, to motivate each other so that we could uh, um, become successful athletes. That's incredible. Well, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us here on the live stream. If you're joining us live, type in the chat box below, hello. If you're joining us on the replay, type in replay and come and join us. So here you are, you've got asthma, uh, you've got an absent father, mother's not paying too much attention, uh, you've got alopecia, and you better fill us in on what alopecia is because I had to mm. Google it before. <laughs> Somebody said to me, Daniel, your personality style loves to Google things. And I said, bullshit. <laughs> Here I am Googling alopecia. <laughs> so uh, fill us in. What is alopecia and how does it impact the body? Yeah. impact. Uh, so alopecia is basically a common form of stress and worry. Back, I'd say, back probably about 25 years or so, it was not as common. It was very... Um, I suppose, kind of new to medical practices and stuff. And I remember actually um, having to kind of be, I suppose, a human guinea pig, in fact, going to regular hospital visits and trying different meds and whatever it is. And I'm like, this doesn't feel cool to me, <laughs> you know. Um, 
so yeah it's a common form of hair loss uh you know you get a lot of celebrities you, you know it can happen to anyone you can wake up one day and I, I remember when i was a kid when i woke up one day it all just came out in handfuls literally just out in handfuls and that was all gone it's crazy and uh you know and, and yeah, do you know what I mean? That's a quick haircut, right? So, um, yeah, and and, and I, I haven't really calculated how much money I've saved in the haircuts. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, so it's a common form of where it can happen to anyone. It's probably It probably affects more women than uh, it does men uh, mentally because, obviously, you know, uh, self-imagery and things like that. So, but, you know, I've, ha I've been like this for pretty much most of my life now. It doesn't bother me at all, as you can tell. Um, I'm a change man. I've got a cousin <laughs> in Australia, super, super successful, and his uh, hair fell out, and somebody cracked a joke at him, and he said, I'm not bald. This is a solar panel for a sex machine. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> Actually, funny. Anyway. So you, you're growing up, um, dad's absent-minded, mum's out there doing her own thing, uh, you've got alopecia and, you know, today's conversation is about getting your mind focused. Yeah. You had uh, asthma, you joined a running club and then you started to get good at it and the asthma disappears. What, what were you focusing on back then? Because obviously there was things there that were traumatic. How did you take your mind off those things that were traumatic and put them on what was important? How did you do that? Well, I think what running allows me, allowed me to do is it, it became kind of a distraction of life, you know. And, you know, I got into – so I trained Tuesdays, Thursdays, and then I'd compete Saturdays and Sundays. So it would take up quite a huge chunk of my time. Um, and as a kid, I was actually a really busy kid, as in, like, I'd also commute to go to school um, – you know, jump on the train, take 45 to an hour there, 45 to an hour back as well. Uh, so I'd get up at like 5.36 o'clock. I'd train on a Tuesday and Thursday. This is not including activities. I I didn't really have a lot of time as a kid, if I'm honest with you, uh, where all the other kids may have played video games and kind of all the other stuff and whatever it is. I didn't get a lot of time, if I'm honest with you. Mm. But um, I think for me is just... Uh, yeah, it, it, it kind of gave me this, it got me into this kind of zone, I suppose, Dan, you know, it got me into a zone and it kind of got me to, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Probably detract myself from everyday life, you know, kind of running was kind of, to me, was was a different dimension, you know what I mean? It was, it was a different dimension and it was just a kind of place where I was happy at the time. Well, not initially because it was bloody hard training, but, um, <laughs> but, but then as I, as I started to getting better, I start and I started to get those small wins under my belt. I started gaining, um, confidence. You know what I mean? I started gaining confidence and I started gaining, um, self-esteem and I started to see things a little bit differently. Um, and then, you know, I, this is where I got, I suppose I created some really early habits on, you know, self-discipline and, and being super time productive and, you know, and, and kind of things that a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners aspire to, to today's world. Mm -hmm. I got them like way, way, way before even start, start my own first business, um, e even though that was around the first time. But, <laughs> but 
honestly, um, that's, there's so much I learned from, from that time. 11 was a very special age for me. So here you are, you've, you're doing sports, you're conquering asthma, you're managing your time effectively, and you've also started your first business. What was your first business? Yeah, what did exactly. You- <laughs> so, I mean, back in the day, um, we didn't particularly have a large amount of money. We lived off the state. We lived in this, um, uh, they call it, I call it, we call it cat state-owned property, which was like a tower rise you know, we, we were in one of those is, um, and uh, my mum never worked. So there wasn't a lot of wealth that went around. Uh, it was myself and my younger brother and, and her. And so I remember doing this, actually. And I remember crystal, crystal clear as if it was yesterday. I was walking in the nature reserve, which is about 15 minutes from where we lived. And just kind of observing, you know, just kind of walking and, and take, take it. And I started seeing all these golf balls, you know, uh, from where golfers had played like next door and and i was like oh this is interesting so next day i decided to go back with a bucket and i started collecting all these golf balls i started jumping in the stream started foraging in the in the the bushes i started i started literally just going out on a big you know finding spree and then um you know i didn't even have money to buy uh wellington boots you know i just take my shoes and socks off and get jump in and some of the and you know it would be like boggy, sandy, sea type of water. So it wasn't clean water at all. Um, but anyway, I did that. I got in there and then I started walking around the fairway and all these golfers started to come up to me and they're like, hey, so I'm just curious why 11-year-old boy is walking around the fairway. You know, you're going to get hurt. They were concerned about my safety. And I was like, well, I'm actually rescuing golf balls. And they're like, oh, let me see what's in your bucket. And they're like, okay. <laughs> So they started inspecting some of my golf balls, like somewhere in. So, so some of the things that were really important for a golf was, um, you know, brand was important, condition was really important, even the color was really important, actually, depending on the on the time of day and stuff. But it was an eighteen-hole golf course, and I don't know about you, Dan. I'm not much of a golfer, but I can tell you now, from a golfer's perspective, is that if you've only got two balls and you've got about six holes to go, you're panicking. <laughs> You're panicking and you're sweaty and you think, oh, my, oh I'm going to lose some couple more balls. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, um, so I always hanged out kind of around uh, hole 12, which is where everyone was kind of panicking. And so this, and so they started, you know, searching and sieving through my bucket. And this is where I started learning entrepreneurship. This is where I started to learn negotiation and sales. So they'd offer me X and they'll say, hey, so I'll give you like six bucks for this. And I'd be like, but I know that this ball is actually worth 15 bucks brand new. So how about we do this? How about uh, how about we go for eight, okay? And uh, you get a great deal and you get the ball for practically half price. I mean, it's practically brand new. And then actually, you know, after, after the end of that, we both walked away with, with smiles on our faces. They got a great deal because they've only paid half price for a brand new ball. And I get a good price because you know, just by all that negotiation and haggling and stuff like that. And some people would say no. And I wouldn't take it personally, of course. I would just pick up my I would just continue with my with my bucket, right? But then, you know, one day I'd go back to my mom for the I remember the first time I did this, I'd go back to my mom and I had these bag full of coins. And she's like, what did you do? 
did you go rob a bank or something? I'm like, what did you do? And I told her and she went, wow. And then I basically gave some of the money to my mum for groceries and milk and bread and so forth. And then I kept the rest of myself for savings and stuff. So, you know, that's how I ended up. Um, as, that was my real first entrepreneurial, I suppose, uh, journey as such. And, you know, and there was something and, and we did something else when we moved across town as well, which was, again, another fascinating. I, I never it, did, it doesn't bother me, Dan, to get out of my comfort zone. Like if the tough gets going, then you just got to go do it. You know what I'm saying? I, I, lo- I love what you said there. And um, I was having a conversation with a gentleman on Saturday and he said, Daniel, some people, they go to a course, they go Friday, Saturday and Sunday, and they start their business on Monday. He says, I go to the course, the same course, Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And still a couple of years later, I'm still waiting to start my business. <laughs> and I said to him, well, I'm the type of person who joins the course on Friday, but I've already started pre-selling on Thursday. And, and you know, your, your story here, it's a great metaphor for life. You've taken your shoes off, you've taken the socks off, you've rolled up your pants, you're walking around in the bog, and somebody else is still out there waiting to get their wellies. And if, and if it was a lot of people like me, I'd be waiting to get the hunters. <laughs> well, once I've got enough money to get the 100-pound wellies, then I'll begin. <laughs> but it's a great metaphor for life, isn't it? Somebody's out there getting their feet dirty, they're in the water, they're in the deep end, and you're still thinking about it. But this person like yourself, you're out there making money. And, you know, it's it's supply and demand, isn't it? The supply is running low. They say with golfers, they don't go crazy. They just lose their balls. So the supply <laughs> balls left. <laughs> They're out on the course. And for them, what what's more expensive? Turning around at the 12th hole and walking home or paying eight pound for a ball, saving six pound and continuing. Exactly. I mean, it, it, it's a great service that you're offering. And I know what you mean when you do this. We were uh, we were in pawnbroking and we used to get young guys coming into our shop and they'd bring us bags of balls in. And my dad would go through them because he was a golfer and he'd say, well, we'll give you this amount for these balls. Uh, these ones here, these are for practice. We'll give you this amount. And these ones here, these are just ones that you can hit in the river. And so we had this constant flow of balls coming in to our shop. And the same thing, exactly. The golfer comes in, he picks it up, he looks at it. Okay, that's a that's a tight list. Well, I'll put that one over there. <laughs> and then we used to send him out with a, a bag of 25 balls <laughs> for about $10. But it was a commodity. Love it. People loved it. They were always buying it. And golfers, after a while, it doesn't matter how good they are, they lose their balls. Yeah. It's <laughs> true. A lot of people need a lot of balls to get into business. So you're out there, you're out there on the field, you're 11 years of age. Uh, out of curiosity, um, what did you do with your money? Yeah, so good question. For, a, for a, not even a teenager, it's an 11 year old. Yeah, it's a good question. Um, what did I do with my money? Well, what I did is I, I literally just saved it, if I'm honest with you. I put it into uh, a high, uh, one of those children's high interest savings account. And, you know, I saved a lot of my money. Um, obviously, I'd spend a little bit, of course, um, but I didn't really, it wasn't like huge amounts of money. I mean, you know, some, some days, yeah, of course. I mean, like, I might make 50, 60 quid or whatever it is, but. You know, which is quite a lot of money back in the day, right? So it completely depends. I think, but most of the time, I'd stick it in savings and, and save it for a rainy day. 
So just out of curiosity for our friends who are joining us, um, what was your first business or what was your first job? I remember my first job, other than washing mum and dad's car, we started a, uh, a car wash on the side of the street. We had the car wash. And then after that, I was a paper boy. And I remember enjoying my $2. It was about $2 back then. I'd go mm-hmm. work for a couple of hours and I'd earn $2. After that, um, my other uncle owned a local dry cleaners. So I'd go down there and I'd press the handkerchiefs. <laughs> I was the chief. <laughs> but the deal was if I found copper coins in the washing machines or the dryers, they were mine to keep. <laughs> and so I'd go through all the, the pockets and all the machines and pull out the copper coins and he got to keep the silver ones, which five cents back right. then bought your bag of frogs. It was a lot Absolutely. of money. Absolutely. So you've, you've been on this journey, uh, dad's absent-minded, mum's out there doing her own thing, you're taking your shoes off, you're making money, you're bringing home money, Uh, you've already had your first sports coach, you've overcome uh, alopecia, you've got rid of your asthma, and then as you get into your teens, what's happening in your teens? Is everything going well or is there more challenges for you to face? I mean, mean, there was always challenges to face. I mean, when I I was was growing up, I literally, I mean, for me, I literally paid for everything, my education, my college, my university, my books, my holidays, literally everything came out of my own personal pocket. No one else uh, had contributed at all. Uh, I remember my um, uh, my very first, uh, <laughs> this is going to make you laugh, my very, one of my very, very first jobs actually is I was trolley boy in you know, like uh, shopping carts. I was collecting shopping carts at the age of 14, right? So when the supermarket had closed or, you know, maybe a couple of hours before, I'd go around collecting all the shopping carts, right? And, and, and again, just collect them, go around the parking lot and whatever it is. I used to get paid good money. And um, I used to do – that was almost I, – I got really good at it. I just literally just put my headphones in, listened to my music for about six hours, collected um, – Collect, collected all the shopping carts going around, right? And um, and and just literally, you know, at the end of, and then they pay me on a weekly basis. I'd actually, I was actually earning more money than my, than than uh, than one of my parents, which is crazy. Um, so yes, I, I, and then I was doing full time education as well, uh, as well as my running career as well, which is kind of crazy. So that was my my first real, I suppose job as such and shop collecting shopping carts but my real 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 job was actually at the age of 16 when i actually worked at mcdonald's i mean you probably had a mcdonald's job dan and most people here listening listening have had a mcdonald's job right my sister-in-law she was the crew leader and my 14 year old niece she's just started at mcdonald's first shift last week boom and (laughs) And i had a few days ago (laughs) <laughs> and literally, I, you can't, you can't like, you, a lot of people would take the mickey out of, you know, working at McDonald's. But, you know, McDonald's is like an idiot proof business, right? You can teach a 16 year old boy like me to do pretty much whatever it is. And I just loved uh, McDonald's. It was my first real job. I remember turning up at the interview. I got paid three pounds and 35 pence to be exact. Um, see, I even remember that's crazy, right? Um, and, and I did that part time. I was full-time college, pretty much doing well. Um, so pretty much full-time athletics as well, which is crazy. So I was a very busy 16-year-old. And I got really good at it, Dan. 
um, really enjoyed it. I got uh, within when I was within two years, I became a shift manager, uh, whatever that is. And then by the time I got to 21, um, I was running a restaurant which was turning over nine million pounds, 100 staff at Christmas time. It was insane. So, um, you know, and you, know, you learn a lot from there. You know, you learn a lot of leadership practices. You learn how to deal with people. You learn how to uh, communicate effectively. And, and, and believe it or not, that again, uh, I was actually one of the very first places where I met my first real mentor, my first real business mentor. And his name was Mark Mayer. And uh, Mark was, uh, I saw Mark, Mark to me was like a father figure for me. He, you know, I highly respected him for what he did. And he would always point out to me, you know, things about how I could make improvements or some of my teaching points or where I could learn or which areas of, of the business that I should go and focus on and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, he really respected me and I really looked up to him and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, I even remembered his name because, you know, he, he really made an impact of me, uh, of my McDonald's journey. But, you know, that was, uh, that was fantastic. I really enjoyed my time at McDonald's. I really did. It was, it was just such a great learning experience. So you, you've had training in McDonald's and one of my friends, um, she was very high up in McDonald's in South Africa and in Australia. And the standard is incredibly high and some of the training you get is the best in the world. So you've you've had some of the best training, you've met your mentor and something that um, people often ask you on a regular basis is how can you become so action oriented? So we're into your mid-20s now, early 20s. Uh, you're already managing a business with 100 staff, 9 million, in, 9 million pounds sterling in turnover. Mm. How do you remain action-oriented with so much noise in the environment? Yeah, it's a great question. And I, and I think for me is I condition my mind at a very young age. Um, and I, for me, I I have this conditioned I suppose, results-orientated mindset. Like, for me, I'm always trying to strive forwards. I'm always striving towards performance and improvement. My belief is that if you are not moving forwards, you are moving backwards, okay? And no one really wants to move backwards, right, Dan? They, you, they, you can't go, you either go in one direction or the other direction, right? So for me, how do I get to a, this state of, uh, I suppose, this action-taking mindset, I suppose? well. It's number one through self-discipline. You have to self-discipline yourself. You have to you set. Everyone has goals and aspirations, then, right? Um, all of us do. You know, we all want financial success. We all want, you know, health. We all want wealth. We all want happiness. You know, we all want in abundance as well. We don't want it in small things. We want it in abundance. And I think if you want to achieve things in life, if you want to get the most out of life, then you have to self-discipline yourself. Uh, you have to prepare. Uh, and and here, when I say by prepare, you have to make short-term sacrifices for long-term benefits. And what I mean by that is, you know what? The world right now, it's just kind of crazy. There's so much going on. There's so many distractions. Most people are working from home, all of that kind of stuff. But how can you change your environment? How can you surround yourself with different people? How can you change? How can you condition your mind? And all of the things that you should be doing right now is thinking to yourself, well, okay, this is where I'm at, right? But I want to get to here, which is which is a big leap. But how am I going to do that, right? 
rather than think strategy and about how, 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 go back to why. Why am I doing these things? Start mm. to question yourself. Start to look at yourself in the mirror and say, why do I want to do this? What motivates me? What gets me out of my bed every day? What makes me hungry? You know, what drives my passion? You know, so for me, uh, especially, you know, uh, probably in the last year or so, one of the things that I did was is going with the flow. And what I mean by that is, you know, really aligning yourself in terms of your values. You know, we all have values in life. Okay, whether we live by those values is a different matter. And whether we compromise those values is also a different matter. So for me, like my my values never get compromised. One hundred percent. They I stick to my values. Um, I would never sacrifice my values because that makes that is my genetic DNA. That is my makeover. That sets me as the person. So if I change my DNA, then I'm going to attract a different tribe. I'm going to attract a different energy. I don't want to do that. I'm in a happy place right now. You know, I've got good energy. I've got flow. You know, uh, people know me for a particular reason. And otherwise, this is where people get a little bit confused in terms of their clarity. Uh, they don't know which direction they want to go in, you know, uh, things like that. But if you want to get yourself into action, you really got to take you've got to take action. You you got to stop talking and actually do something about it. And I see so many people just doing this. They talk, they rabbit, but they never take action. All because of insecurities, fear, um, limiting beliefs that they put upon themselves, or whatever reason that they decide, whatever excuse you know that they want to come up with. This is the reason why people don't actually achieve the results that they desire. I love how you talk about the yap, 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 yap. When I was in the UK, I went over there New Year's Eve of 2002. I landed in Heathrow and I went straight down to Temple Bar and I experienced the UK-British pub culture. And uh, I've never watched the soccer or you call it the football over there. And the guys who were commentating in the pubs about the football and I just thought to myself, these are just guys are backseat drivers. They're here. I would have done this. I would have done that. If I was the ref, I would have done this. I would have done that. If I was the coach, I would have done this. I would have done that. I would have set that plan. I thought to yourself, why don't you just bloody get out in the field yourself and do it? <laughs> and, and they would exhort themselves in the bar, get blind, talking the talk. But there was no get up and go in them, and none of them would do it themselves. And I think this is, happens with a lot of people. It's very easy to talk. And I've learned over the years, it takes about 95% of your mental energy just to begin. And I think a lot of people don't have that energy to begin. And so it's easy to stand on the sideline. It's easy to talk and yap. But once you get out there, you've got to start to face your obstacles. And I like what you're saying here about uh, about self-limiting beliefs. A lot of people who don't even start have their own limiting beliefs. They have exactly. If they have to start to move forward, they've got to face them. And there's more fear in facing it than actually achieving the the goal, the outcome, or the result. So over the years, what have you done to be able to break through your mental or emotional blockages? What are the ones that have faced you, and then you've overcome them? What have you had to overcome? Well, we've we've talked about. Um about my journey with regards to getting into athletics and stuff, you know, and, you know, the beginning where I had a, 
what was going to say where where I was wearing a sports cap. Yeah, it was a. I must have gone through uh, I suppose over a dozen sports caps, Nike, Adidas, all of that kind of stuff because I was so ashamed about the way I looked. You know, I wore a cap until I was sixteen. You know, that was like six years almost. You know, which is crazy. So if you see my school pictures and you see my school pictures, you'll see me. I'm the only kid that has the cap. You know, with my blazer and tie and whatever it is, and you know the odd spots here and you know that is. Um, but you know that was me. Um, I th- I think for me is that it it's an ongoing journey. Um, is there any particular situation where my mindset's been affected by the results that I didn't get? Sure, all the time. It's an ongoing journey. It's an ongoing battle. But I think one thing that you've got to learn from is that. There's no such thing as failure, right? There's no such thing that I see them as learning points in your life. You know, you take, you you reflect, you reflect and you think to yourself, well, hang on a second. How is it that I could have made this situation better? Could I, did I actually turn up with my A game? You know, so a lot of people, they, they really kind of uh, are affected by failure, I suppose, or not success or whatever it is. Um, but essentially, you have to really question yourself first of all. So did I did was my intention was did I turn up with an A class or a, was I an A player? OK, did I go all in? Because I'm a I mean, you know me, Dan, quite well. I'm an all in or not at all type of person. You know, if, if I'm going to do something right, I'm going to go all in or I'm not going to bother. There's just there's no in between the middle. There's no faffing. There's no fighting around. None of that. It's either all in or not at all, yeah? Do you either commit and go or not bother? So I think that's the first question you have to ask yourself. Secondly, you have to ask yourself is, okay, so if my intention wasn't as good as what it could have been, what do I need to do if I was to repeat this process again? If I was to, I don't know, launch a project, launch, you know, whatever it is that we see, uh, whatever circumstances we're in right now, how could we have changed our situation rather than blaming others? And people are very good at pointing fingers, right? You know, and, and blaming and blaming others for whatever it is their circumstances are right now, or the fact that they haven't achieved this or they haven't achieved that or whatever it is. I can guarantee you listeners that for every finger that you point at people, there will always be five fingers pointing back at you because you have to take personal responsibility. You know, if you want, if you want to get, if you want results in life, you want success, you want happiness and abundance and wealth, you have to take personal responsibility and grab life by the balls and make it happen for yourself. No one else is going to happen, make it happen. And if you lose your balls, Adam will find them on hole 12 <laughs> and you'll sell them to the highest bidder. <laughs> exactly. You've got it. <laughs> uh, who was it? Um, there was a book by Ken Blanchard many years ago and it was called The One Minute Manager. And he talked about feedback and he said, there's no failure. There's only feedback. But a lot of people don't like the feedback. And we talk to our daughter about it. We say, sweetheart, we're going to give you some feedback. And the, the, the feet get planted on the ground and the, the head goes over there. And we say, come more, come more, come more. And Chinese man's like, look at me. <laughs> but what happens is if you don't get those valuable learnings, you've got to keep repeating the same thing over and over again. It's the learning that's value valuable and if you get that learning it's like winning a game of um street fighter down at the arcades if you get that final move finish him next round and you move on and so failure 
is part of success. And I think today, Adam, in my opinion, it's like people want to have pleasure with no pain. They want to have sex without all play. They just want to. They want to swipe to the left and get the the yep. right here, right now. And and we live in a fast paced world. Uh, when I was growing up, it was the nineteen eighties, and there was a thing called lay by. And if I wanted something, I had to pay the price in advance. And so I remember there was a, um, I think it was a transformer. And I really wanted it. And it was about this big. And it was probably about $25. And my mum said, if you want it, then you got to put 50 cents a week on it. So I'd do my chores. I'd walk across to the toy shop. I'd put my 50 cents on it. And I'd ask the shopkeeper, I think it was called Toy World. I said, could I have a look? And he'd bring it out, show me. I'd look at it. Wasn't allowed to play with it. He'd put it back. Next week, 50 cents, 50 cents until I owned it. And the appreciation that I had for that thing was incredible. You know, it's a toy. I would I would wash it. I would clean it. <laughs> I would store it away. But it had so much more value because I had to pay the price in advance. Where today's world is very different. You can get anything that you want, but the condition and the catch is now you've got to pay for it for the rest of your life. And so easy come, easy go, but you carry the debt and the burden forever. It's like a house. 30 years, 40 years for a lot of people. Get it refinanced, pull the money back out, get it refinanced, spend it, just keep spending. And so that was our generation. What what year were you born in? Same again in the 80s. Yeah, I was, I was 1980 and I remember that. I remember my first car was $2,500 and that was an expensive car. <laughs> what did you Three, buy? Did you buy a Rolls Royce or something for that kind of money? Jeez. I, I bought a Datsun. It was a it was a nineteen seventy one Datsun sixteen hundred. It even had a Venetian blind in the back window. Wow, that's <laughs> classic. Vinyl seats, and I paid two and a half thousand dollars for it. And then my parents went dollar for dollar for me to restore it. So I paid two and a half. They put two and a half in, and so the the joy of having that car was amazing because it was hard to come by. There's a lot of work mm. in advance. And so times are changing. So you're out there, you're building your business. And uh, tell me, what are you up to right now in business? Where are you taking your business? What's happening over there in the UK market for you? Well, most of my business is international, uh, as you know. And uh, one of the things that we did uh, this year is uh, uh, because of the pandemic and, and things like that is that I, I moved actually really, really fast, really, really quickly. And... Um, I decided to put on a on a, on a summit uh, called the Game Changer Summit, and uh, we essentially collaborated with some of the world's leading industry authorities in entrepreneurship, marketing, branding, all of that kind of stuff. And um, we put on a summit. We launched, so we went from idea to launch in less than seven weeks. Uh, so, which was crazy. It was a thirty-day summit. So we did content for. Um, uh, for 30 days solid. Uh, in fact, I think it was maybe a little bit more actually. And um, yeah, so we did that for like 30 days. We uh, I interviewed Jack Canfield, Dr. John Martini, Sharon Lecter, some of the big boys in, in the entrepreneurial world. Uh, and and it was we had a lot of fun. It, it was just ridiculously amount of hard work. On top of that, I had a newborn baby as well. Um, so <laughs> don't, I would not, uh, advise anyone to go do that of course um <laughs> not the way that i did things um and then uh we obviously launched the podcast the game changes experience and then we did uh 
And then I'm working on um, actually uh, for 2021, we're actually going to be launching the Game Changers Summit again, um, which I'm really super excited about. Um, we're going to be bringing in, I'm going to be bringing in the cavalry, man. Seriously, we're going to be bringing in some real hotheads. Um, it's going to be live as well. We're going to do some live stuff as well. It's going to be really fantastic. Um, and then on top of that, we're going to start uh, with a TV. We're also going to look into TV as well. So looking into launching a TV channel as well of some sort. Um, what else we've got? And uh, the other thing that we've got uh, working on right now is we're behind the scenes is actually launching our accelerator program for our uh, global audience, uh, which is mainly for uh, six-figure entrepreneurs and, uh, and uh, creative entrepreneurs and business owners that want to gain greater clarity, increase their productivity, but more importantly, they want more success and results and more impact. Epic, epic. So make sure you keep me posted for that one. I want to be a part of it, and I know it's going to be a big thing there for you. Now, I know you're a busy man, and I want to, um, first of all, get deeper into your mind, so I'm going to shoot you five rapid-fire questions. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay, cool. I'm looking forward you're to this. Be- okay, go, go, go. And you got to go deep. So out of everything in your life, what frustrates you the most and why? Incompetence. Why? Why is it uh, purely because I am impatient, uh, I like to move fast, I like to move quick, I don't have time for incompetence, um, I just want to move, I, I just, I just, I'm just an action taker, that's probably pretty much why. What's been the most embarrassing moment in your life? Oh, embarrassing moment. Oh, embarrassing moment. Mm. Come back to that. <laughs> Not sure about that one. You're you're an avid reader. What one book has had the most impact on your life? Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill. What did you learn? <laughs> Interestingly enough, uh, well, it kind of got me to learn about more about um, a, di- a different prospect of what success looks like from my from my perspective, um, it really disrupted the conventional methods of, um, I suppose, creating success in life, very different from the way we grew up in school. So that's why I kind of love that. And it just gave me some great insights. And as you've built your business uh, through your younger years to your older years, uh, what one mental or emotional block has held you back the most? Mm-hmm. Self-confidence. Um, I think that would probably be, that would probably apply to quite a few people, but self-confidence, I think is probably the biggest mental and emotional block. And, uh, it's taken years to, I mean, I had more failures than I have successes, especially in my athletics journey, but you learn more from your losses than you do from your wins. And for somebody who had low self-confidence right now, who, and who is struggling with it, what piece of advice would you like to share with them? talk to people. I would just say, talk to people, be more open with them. Um, and, you know, and just start to build relationships with people, surround yourself with who you become at the end of the day. If you want more confidence, then go around and hang out with confident people, right? If you want, if you want to be broke, then go hang out with broke people, right? <laughs> so again, you surround yourself with who you become. Incredible. Champion effort. There's the round of applause. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adam, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we've been joined by Adam Strong today, the founder of the Game Changer. 
And I want you to follow him. Make sure you head over to his social media pages today. You can go to his website, adamstrong.net. There's going to be a new launch of a new summit coming up very shortly. So the last one was epic, was off the hook, and the next one's going to be bigger and better than it was before. And uh, if you know a little bit about Adam, he's always going to push himself to make it the best experience for you. So Adam, thank you so much for your time today. And uh, I wish you all the best and have a wonderful week, mate. And I'll see you soon. Appreciate it. Take care. Hey, you guys, I just want to say thank you so much for listening in to this episode of the Game Changers Experience. I hope that you got some amazing value, some great insights and golden nuggets that you can implement into your business straight away. I would really, really appreciate it if you could leave a five-star review on the button below. Have a fantastic day and we'll see you on the next episode. Take care. Thank you.